Okay, folks, uh, let's go back to our study in First Thessalonians. <clears throat> In this last chapter, chapter 5, the Apostle Paul packs a lot of very pertinent information. And he conveys to the church numerous responsibilities that demonstrate the genuineness of our faith. And that ancient church of Thessalonica was practicing many of these virtues, even though it was only a few months old. And unfortunately, many Christians today fall far short of their example after knowing Christ for many, many years. Now, Paul first reminds them of their responsibility toward church leaders, such as elders and pastors and deacons. They are to appreciate the role of those leaders in the church for the kind of work that they do in laboring among them, ruling over them in the Lord, and admonishing them from God's word. Then he exhorts the church about responsibilities we have toward each other, toward our membership. We are to warn those who are disorderly or stepping out of line with God's word, uh, comfort the faint-hearted or those who are discouraged, and uphold the weak in the faith. And all this must be done in a spirit of patience under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, one more area uh, remains in this category of how we treat each other, and that's found in verse uh, 15, and we'll look at that in just a moment, where we are not to be vengeful, rendering evil for evil. Rather, we are to be beneficial to others and actually pursuing that which is good, whether that person may be a Christian or not. And then in verses 16 and 17, in nine little words, he touches on the inner man, our relationship to the Lord. And as believers in Christ, we're to be always joyful, prayerful, and thankful. So are you convicted yet? I think we probably all will be by the time we're finished with this. As believers in Christ, uh, we're to be joyful and prayerful and thankful. And all of us who know the Lord are joyful and prayerful and thankful sometimes, but are we that way all the time? Uh, the Lord wants us to be uh, happy in him. He doesn't want us to be unhappy or sad. He doesn't want us to rely on ourselves, but come to him in prayer for every need. And he does not want us to be griping and complaining all the time, but thankful for all the things that we, uh, he has done for us. So we need to endeavor to be this way because it's God's will for us, as these first uh, verses explain. And may he encourage us today as we are exhorted uh, to be a beneficial person to others, joyful, prayerful, and thankful in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray today that you'll just speak to our hearts, encourage us, Lord, we know that we go through a lot of rough times in life, and the devil is uh, attempting to take us away from a spirit of rejoicing, uh, keep us from praying, and keep us from being thankful. So Lord, help us to be encouraged today uh, to defeat uh, the purposes of the devil and submit to your will for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we begin today, 
I, I need to back up a little bit and finish up the uh, uh, 15th verse here, which has to do with our responsibilities towards church members, to, towards fellow Christians. And in verse 15, <clears throat> Paul writes, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. So the first thing we find here, we're going to divide this up into a negative and a positive, but this characteristic goes just beyond uh, uh, fellow Christians, for yourselves, as he mentions here, to everybody that we might come into contact with, as he ends that with the phrase, for all. And uh, we might expect that. It's not difficult for us to see how this would play out in the world where we're going to meet with so much conflict. So this is a, a, a good thought for us this morning. Now, negatively speaking, what are we not to be? We're not to be vengeful. See that no one renders evil for evil. And that's not easy to do. But Paul says, uh, see uh, to it. See that you don't do this. So this indicates being, care, being, uh, being careful, being on your guard. We have to be careful about getting even with people who may hurt us, who abuse us in some way, who mistreat us, because that's going to happen in your life. It already has for many of us. If it hasn't, it will at some point in time. So we don't want to take up the thinking and the adage of the natural man who says, I don't get mad, I get even. That's not for Christians. So um, one commentator noted, he said this, this prohibition runs counter to one of the strongest impulses of fallen human nature. For no vice, vice is more certainly regarded as a virtue among men than is retaliation. Now, you read it in books, you see it in movies, you see it on the TV. How many uh, uh, of these things have a theme of getting even, uh, of the bully getting what they deserve, and justice being served? And although those things may not be in themselves uh, wrong, we don't take these things into our own hands. The natural man wants to give back what he gets. He wants to get the justice he thinks he deserves, and he's willing to take matters in his own hands if he thinks he needs to. If you hit me, I'll hit you. Now, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but do you remember what Melania Trump said about her husband? If you hit Donald, he'll hit you back ten times harder. Now, I don't find that in the Bible. Uh, we may be sympathetic to what she was getting at, but that's retaliation, and that's something that we as believers ought not to be involved in. I remember an incident, I think I probably shared this before, when I was in eighth grade. <clears throat> and I was uh, teasing this boy who was one or two years younger than me because he liked a girl that I secretly liked too. So one day his brother came up to me and said, I want you to quit teasing my brother. Well, uh, I didn't listen to him, and uh, soon after that, one morning, we were coming into school, and I teased his brother, went into the lavatory and was combing my hair. His brother comes in and said, I told you to quit teasing my brother, and wham, he hit me and knocked me down. Well, I got back up, and I hit him back and knocked his head against the wall. So I got even. 
Now, you might not expect an eighth grader to turn the other cheek, but God demands us that we don't give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So uh, we need to be careful that we are letting things take their course because the Bible says a lot about this kind of thing. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So if he slugged me in the head, I should have just said, Okay, I hope you feel better now and go out the door. But uh, maybe you could do that as an adult, but maybe not as a kid. And it was prophesied of the Lord Jesus. Listen to this. We'll quote from Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and the sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And you know everything he went through to pay the penalty of your sin. He suffered the abuses of his trials and crucifixion without one word of vengeance or retaliation. And Paul repeats this theme in uh, Romans chapter 12. Let's uh, turn over there. Romans uh, chapter 12 is is really uh, more of an in-depth review of what Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians. But I want to read a couple of verses to you, beginning in verse 17, Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. Same thing. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Same thing. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, not yours. I will repay, says the Lord. Then he goes on to say, well, feed, feed your enemy and things of that nature. So again, the ability to not retaliate when treated unjustly or persecuted or afflicted in some way is an exercise of great spiritual resolve and restraint. Someone else wrote, non-retaliation for personal wrong is perhaps the best evidence of Christian maturity. Now, positively, A lot of times in the Bible, we don't do the wrong thing, but we replace it with doing the right thing. And this is probably just as hard, maybe even harder than not retaliating. We go a step farther in the rest of this verse, but always, there's that word always, always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for everybody else. Now, in response to facing evil, uh, a Christian purposes to do what is good and beneficial and helpful to someone else. It's not enough just to refrain from retaliating. That's hard enough. We have to pursue what is good and helpful to that other person. And that is the response of unselfish love, which, again, we are incapable of doing without God's help. So this is something we're always to do, and we're to do it eagerly because that's uh, in the the meaning of the verb there, uh, to pursue. That suggests uh, uh, that we follow after, that we do it energetically, we do it eagerly, nothing half-hearted about it. And what we do are acts of kindness out of love. We forgive, we try to help the other person uh, mend their ways for what they may have done to us. 
Now, let's think about some biblical examples. We have an example in the life of Joseph back in the book of Genesis. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story there. His brothers hated him because they felt his father loved him more than the rest, and that was probably true. And they tried to get rid of him one day. They sold him into slavery, only to find out years later that he survived, and it was actually elevated to the second highest position in that land, just under the Pharaoh. But did Joseph retaliate when they came together again? Well, yes, he did test his brothers to see if they had a change of heart, but he treated them kindly, and he forgave their wicked deed. And again, we cannot do this without uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. The flesh is not capable of it. We can only beat down those feelings of retaliation when wronged by somebody through God's Spirit, and we can only forgive and actually do good toward that person uh, in the power of Christ. And remember that the next time you want to get angry and you want to get back and you want to say something you shouldn't say, this is what you need to be thinking about. We don't get even. All right. Let's go on now to Christian responsibilities in relationship to the Lord in the next few verses. Now, these are issues of the heart. These have to do with our uh, um, inner man. And they are impossible, again, for the natural man to exhibit. Only the believer who walks with the Lord in obedience to his word and uh, is submitting to the Spirit's working in his life can consistently manifest these attitudes. And as we read here, uh, you're going to see a modifier. For instance, rejoice always. Always is a modifier. Now, in the Greek, the modifier is first. So we would be saying, always rejoice, and then uh, never cease praying or, or uh, uh, give, in everything give thanks. So the modifier is emphasized by the position in the sentence. So we go through here. Let's see what we are supposed to do. Somebody who's really a Christian is first of all going to be joyful. Rejoice always, verse 16. That's the shortest sentence in the Greek New Testament. And it's a powerful two words, isn't it? Rejoice always. And it's a lofty exhortation. Do you and I find it easy or difficult to always be joyful. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be happy. Happiness is a feeling, it's an emotion, it's up and down. But again, go back to the previous exhortation in verse 15. Are we joyful when we're abused or mistreated or uh, you know somebody uh, doesn't uh, do right by us? Do those times create a sense of joy? Let's think about what the Bible says about this uh, fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is joy, right? So joy is the spiritual condition of the soul 
that rests upon a relationship to Christ no matter what life throws at you, no matter the circumstances you find yourself in, you can always be joyful that you're saved, that you know the Lord. And this is a sense of satisfaction, a peace that comes because you know your sins are forgiven, you're a child of God, you're destined for heaven, and everything that comes into your life is not just happenstance. God uh, has his hand upon it for some reason. And rejoicing is the mental and emotional response to this ruling attribute of joy in your heart. And that's a theme that really runs through the word of God. But again, coming back to that little word, always. Always. What about those times when life is not treating us well and we aren't happy? What about times where we're going through some type of trouble or affliction or somebody's persecuting us and... uh, Uh, when supposedly bad things happen to good people. Again, let's be reminded what God says about this. Now, the Thessalonian church, we've read in a few scriptures here, they were going through some difficult times. In in verse uh, 14 of chapter 2, Paul says, For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. So he's talking about a time where they're receiving some kind of affliction or persecution. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, he sends Timothy to encourage them uh, 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 concerning their faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we're appointed to this. So they are going through some rough times. What's their response? Well, let's go back to the first mention of this in chapter 1, verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So the response is actually one of joy in the Holy Spirit, even though they're going through this period of affliction. And uh, we've talked about that in previous sermons, exactly what that was involved uh, in. So uh, let's be, uh, again, following the example of the church that Paul is addressing, that he's writing to. Then think of the Apostle Paul himself uh, in the uh, bowels of a dark, damp uh, dungeon when he was back in Philippi not that long ago uh, in in our context here. You remember he and Silas had been beaten, then they were thrown into prison, then they were thrown into stocks, and uh, were they moaning, were they groaning, were they complaining, were they crying out? No, they were praying and they were singing hymns. In another prison situation, Paul wrote the prison epistles, Philippians, Colossians, And in his letter to the Philippians, just four little chapters, he mentions joy and rejoicing 17 or 18 times. In uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he speaks of himself and fellow laborers as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The two things can actually go together. Jesus preached joy in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Remember when he said, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake? What's he saying? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. And if you weren't saved today, you'd think this is crazy stuff. But if you are saved, you know how true it is. And think of this uh, statement that was given by uh, another commentator. The Christian who remains in sadness and depression really breaks a commandment. In some direction or other, he mistrusts God, his power, providence, forgiveness. And that's true. Because of our relationship to Christ, we can rejoice even when life is not always served or is not always served up like a bowl of cherries. So are you a Christian who can always rejoice no matter what circumstances you might be going through in life? Now, in verse 17, another admonition, very short, uh, short but very pointed and very uh, convicting, pray without ceasing. So the real Christian is to be always praying. <clears throat> now, does God really mean that? Does he really want me to be praying every minute of the day? Well, no, that's really impossible. That's really not what without ceasing conveys here. Uh, here's an example. This Greek word uh, was used to describe a hacking cough. Now, how many of you have not had a hacking cough this winter? We know what that means, right? It doesn't mean you're coughing every single second, but you're coughing a lot, and uh, you're aggravated by it, and it's consistent. So the idea here is uh, you, you do this frequently, you do it persistently, it's habitual, you can resort to it at any time of the day, it's recurrent in your life because you're a believer. Another commentator put it this way, which brings out the meaning in the Christian life, the act of prayer is intermittent, but the spirit of prayer should be incessant. So that means that you should be in such a relationship to God that any moment of the day, you can go to him and you can pray. And you don't have to have, you know, an hour-long prayer. Uh, it, it might just be, um, give me an opportunity to witness to somebody. I've heard people say, pray for a parking space. I don't really go that far, but uh, sometimes that happens. Oh, I, I got a parking space. But we can pray to the Lord about anything at any time as long as we're right with him. So this is suggesting to us we have to be walking with the Lord. We have to have a clean slate so that we can go to him directly in prayer, and there's nothing that would prevent him from hearing us and, and answering that prayer. Prayer is also related both to rejoicing and thanksgiving. It's the means by which we rejoice in the Lord's goodness and grace to us and then thank him for all the ways that he's blessed us and benefited us through life. It's also a great help uh, to us when we pass through those times of tribulation and trial. We can be taking this to the Lord on a regular basis. Prayer is also that act that conveys our dependence on the Lord for everything. Um, <clears throat> again, <clears throat> I've, I've, a lot of commentators have some good uh, thoughts and quotes here. 
But uh, this one wrote that believers ought to live lives with such an attitude of dependence on God that they will easily and naturally move into words of prayer on all sorts of occasions, great and small, grave or festive. So again, at any time in life, good, bad, somewhere in between, we, we're always able to go to the Lord. Now, I remember one such small instant uh, that uh, kind of surprised me, probably shouldn't have, but many years ago, while I was attending grad school, a friend came over to our trailer to help me fix our washing machine. And uh, before we started, he, he just said, well, let's pray about this. So he asked the Lord to help us figure out what the problem was and not have any uh, real issues. And how often do we really go to the Lord for that kind of a thing? It showed, just so you know, normal, we didn't think about praying about something like that, but we really probably should. And we're often exhorted to take everything to God in prayer. And again, the Bible is just full of this kind of thing. So let me, again, share with you just a few places. Paul reiterates these, uh, these themes that we're looking at this morning in Romans 12 again. That would be a good place to, to read. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Same idea there. He wrote in Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. The result of that will be the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God wants us to pray in all kinds of situations. In Colossians 4.2, Paul wrote, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, That'll be our next thing. And then in Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I'm astounded at the number of calls and emails that Brother G.S. Nair receives on a daily basis, probably uh, over 100, maybe even more than that. People are constantly calling him. They need money. They need uh, help in some area. They need prayer for some difficulty. And the list goes on and on. And do you know what his basic answer is to most of them? The first thing he says, you need to pray. You need to pray more. You need to trust God. You need to seek him more than anything else. And uh, over there, uh, the believers are praying pretty uh, incessantly. So a true believer is always ready to take it to the Lord in prayer. Now, the last thing that Paul deals with here is in verse 18. Again, very short and to the point. In everything, give thanks. So here again, we have the whole issue. Everything, really? Well, only a mature Christian who understands the providence and sovereignty of God can be thankful in all things. If that escapes you, then you're going to have a difficult time. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean we're thankful for sin and those things that displease God. But as we've mentioned, we know that God can even use such things as this 
to ultimately perform his will. Think again of those circumstances in Joseph's life. What happened when his brothers finally uh, uh, were, uh, the guilt never went away from them. We can tell that from the story. But when they finally faced Joseph and they were afraid what Joseph was going to do and they were afraid of uh, 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 Joseph retaliating, they come to him and they, they are seeking, I think, forgiveness. They even say, well, we'll be your slaves. What did Joseph say to them? He said, but as for you, you meant it, uh, you, you meant evil against me. And they did. They did wrong. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day. God used you to get me into Egypt so he could use me to save the whole world. He had it right. Now, the New Testament application on doctoral foundation is in Romans 8.58. Most of you know that. And we know that all things, all things, good, bad, somewhere in between in our thinking, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So when it seems to be bad, it seems to be evil, it seems to be hard and difficult, God's got a reason in that. And so we ought to be thankful. What may come into our life that seems, you know, harmful and calamitous and wrong, it's all meant for our spiritual growth over time. And how will we grow if we never experience bad stuff? can't. We cannot learn patience. We can't learn joy in trial. We can't learn thanksgiving and everything if there's nothing in life that tests us in those areas. We've got to go through those things. And the purpose is always good. Now again, let's think of some examples. Think of all that happened to that man, Job who was a righteous man. In one day, he lost everything that was precious to him. He lost his possessions, which were great. He lost his children. He lost his servants. Everything that the, uh, the common man would have said mattered most. But when it was all over, at the end of the day, what did he say? The Lord gave and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless God is really to thank God, isn't it? And we say, I don't know how he did that. He blessed God. He praised God. He wasn't embittered. He didn't complain. And then the Lord allowed the devil to touch his body. And there's where uh, things get real difficult when we have to go through some kind of a physical burden. And so even when that happened, and his wife says, curse God and die, he responded, shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all these things, he did not sin with his lips. Now what's the opposite of thanksgiving that we're so used to? Every single day, we complain, 
and we gripe and we grumble. So if God only had said, in everything complain, in everything gripe, it would just be so easy. But that's not what he says. Are we like Israel in the wilderness? Who complained they didn't have enough water and they didn't have the kind of food they liked. And Moses, you brought us out here to die. You know, they got the pyramids in Egypt. Couldn't we die there? They're big on death. We should have just stayed there. And every little irritant can cause us to have a thankless attitude if we let it. Paul wrote the Philippian church again. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you're supposed to shine as lights in the world. And we're all guilty of that, aren't we? Complaining. I mean, the Lord's convicted me about this about a hundred times this week. So if we truly believe the Lord controls our life, he brings all sorts of things into it to grow our faith and give us a cause to rejoice and pray and be thankful, then we really don't have any reason to complain if we think about it. Now Paul closes here with an important final controlling thought. He says in verse 18, For this is the will of God, in Christ Jesus for you. It's God's will for us to always rejoice. To pray with the Spirit, I can go to him at any time, and I do it frequently. And to give thanks no matter what's going on in my life. And we all would have to say, I can't do that, Lord, I need you to help me. So it's not God's will for us to not rejoice, not pray, not give thanks. That's what the devil wants for you. But we've got to do what God says we should do. And what he expects us to do, he enables us to do. Doesn't they say to do stuff that you can't do? You can't do it as you trust in him. So if these attributes are not consistently present in our lives, What does that mean? If you're not joyful, then what are you? If you're not prayerful, then what are you? If you're not thankful, what are you? The answer has to be, well, I'm disobedient, and disobedience is sin. So we need to ask God to help us uh, portray these things in our life on a regular basis. Now, I'm going to put this into some context here. And I want you to think seriously, uh, seriously about this. Because many of us, we have a complaining, pessimistic attitude about what's going on in our country. And that's understandable. Because the things that are happening are against the will of God. I think God's starting to judge us for these things. But is the Lord allowing all of this? Or is he just out of the picture and it's just happening? No, is he using these things for his purposes and his judgments that we don't really fully comprehend yet, the direction it's all heading? I think we ought to be more concerned about the church 
and his people. And what's going on there? And are we involved in doing his business, promoting his business in the world? That's something we can be joyful in all the time. We can be rejoicing and prayerful and thankful. And yes, I know, we pray about our, what's going on in our nation. That's good. We have to do that. We should do that. But let's be equally, if not more, concerned about what God's doing in the world and what he may be doing in all this bad stuff that's out there. And then what is our attitude when life's not going so well? Again, it's easy to be you know, happy and feel good when things are going smoothly, but that, that can change in like a moment. Do we maintain our joy? Do we pray more earnestly? Do we thank God for whatever purpose he may have in that seemingly bad thing that's, that's happening? And there's the rub, and that's why we need his strength and his power every day. So pray with me right now about these things. Pray that the Lord may uh, convict of sin if he needs to. They will help us to be joyful, even in adversity, prayerful in every matter of life, whether it's big or small, and thankful for everything he brings into our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you, first of all today, to forgive us because it's so easy for us to slip into the wrong kind of patterns. Lord, uh, help us when we uh, seem to not be very joyful to think of all the good things you've done for us because we can rejoice in our salvation no matter what's going on in our life. We can be thankful that Jesus came to save us and that you're there even to help us when the bad times do come. And then when the end of life is uh, there, we are going to be with you for all of eternity. So the Lord help us to remember all the great promises of your word when we're going through those times that would take away our joy. And Lord, forgive us for not being as prayerful as we should. As we go through the day, just help us to be constantly calling upon you for help and whatever we're doing. And just to be more thoughtful of calling upon you, depending upon you to help us with uh, our daily tasks and responsibilities. And then, Lord, we just pray you'd help us to be a thankful people. And again, we're all prone each day to uh, complain about things, to be upset, to gripe, and that kind of takes away our joy. But Lord, help us as we uh, go through these times and we start to feel frustrated and just pull us up and, Lord, help us to realize that uh, we don't want to have that kind of an attitude. And maybe somehow turn that to thanksgiving in some way because you have your purposes in all these things. So Lord, again, help us today to put into practice these, uh, these great truths. And help us, Lord, also not to be vengeful and uh, to mistreat others because they mistreat us, but rather uh, try to turn them to good and do good for them. So in all these ways, Lord, we depend upon you and your strength and your help we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.